this is Rob Coburn, and we are excited that you're joining with us today. If you're a part of the Summit Dover family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at the Summit Dover on all social media outlets and on our website, thesummitdover.com. We can get you plugged into our app or our YouTube channel, as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with the Summit Dover family all around the world. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Last week we talked about the three essential things that are eternal, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, and that Jesus burns with fire in his eyes because he's fully consumed with fire, and that as we get closer to him, we become consumed. As I was traveling around this week throughout our city, throughout our region, and outside of the region, but there is a hunger in the world to meet the one that's on fire. There is a hunger in the world for peace. There is a hunger in the world for love that can't be figured out on our own. How many of you know we can try, but we aren't gonna figure it out? It takes the one who is filled with love to infuse us with love so that we can then be lovely to those around us. Because sometimes we're not so lovely. Well, maybe it's just me, but sometimes we're not so lovely. But I was reading through Colossians. Anybody ever do that? Like it just wrecks you for who Jesus is. Amen. Um, I encourage you to read every day. Like that's a key to life. I'm your pastor, but I'm also uh, your accountability person. I can't be in all of your homes, but um, hear my voice. This is the key to life. Read it every day. The person who this is about is the one who wants to love you that you can't find that love on the earth. Anyway, just start in chapter one and read it and uh, open your heart. I don't know. I'm just going to tell you how I do it. I sit down and I say, Lord, I got nothing. Anybody else like that? Like, Lord, I got nothing today. So you got to fill me up with something. And, uh, and where do you want me to go? I love Bible reading plans. If you do it, great, awesome, love it. Get in the word every day, that's the key. I personally do that sometimes if I'm stuck, but I just go to the Lord and I say, what do you wanna to say to me today? I need something, because I'm gonna meet somebody that needs something that I don't have, but you have. So I need to read this and I need to be filled up so that I can pour out whatever they need that I know I don't contain. You know, we can go into those situations and say, I got it under control, yeah, I don't. So I have to read. Um, and get his touch uh, at the beginning of the day so that then I can go and pour out whatever he wants me to pour out. But it got me thinking. If the whole world, you read chapter one, I don't want to read it all to you, although we just get on fire and we wouldn't be able to stop. Um, we'll read some of it. How's that? If we, if we get unglued at 1050, I, I don't know what, what we're going to do, how we're going to pull it all back together. Um, but if you read chapter one of Colossians, you'll just find out who Jesus is. So, but this, this is what really got me this morning, or got me this week, that I wanted to bring forth this morning. That if the whole world is hungry, Romans tells us that all of creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. We can dissect that. I can make it very simple. Colossians 1.27 says that he is in us the hope of glory. So if the whole world is looking for hope, then it's contained in us. Oh man, we're asleep this morning, I'm telling you. Okay, so if you, I'm not saying if you pray to prayer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very bold this morning and just say this. I'm not saying that if you just pray to prayer that you know who he is, okay? Many people do evangelism to keep you from going to hell, okay? They've been taught that we gotta go out and win souls so the souls don't go to hell. But evangelism can actually be an idol. 
I know I'm stepping on toes, but I'm just going to be honest because I think there's some people that have prayed a prayer and we're mistakenly leading them down the path that they actually know Jesus and they're going out into the world and they're getting beat up because they don't know him, but they think they do and they don't have a relationship with him and this doesn't mean anything to them and so they're out there trying to do the battle that this talks about, but they don't know who he is so they don't have him on their side and they think that because they said a prayer one day to get them uh, safe from the fire of hell that, that they're actually good to go to actually do the battle that that talks about and and my concern is that in the church as we go into the end times we're in the end times but as we go further into the end times that that what it says in the back of the book about things getting worse is probably true we believe john 3 16 we got to believe that right so if it's going to get worse then we have to make sure that people are right in right standing with jesus and right standing with jesus isn't that we threw up something so that we could walk out and feel okay because we are under conviction Right standing with Jesus is you're standing right next to him. And where you go, he goes. But actually, the scripture says he's in us, the hope of glory. But that doesn't come just by throwing up a, a red flag saying, hey, I don't want to burn forever. I need, to, I need to do something. It's because there was repentance. There was, a, there was this thing that came upon you. We were talking about it, Pastor Sean and I, and the group in the prayer room. The, the movement that's going on in the church today is about repentance. That's all that Jesus and John the Baptist talked about. So if you want to see revival in your life, start to repent. We've all got something we can repent about. But throwing up, throwing up the, red, the, the, the challenge flag, as they do in football, throwing up the challenge flag and saying, I'm good now because I said a prayer and I think that I repeated after the pastor and now I'm all good. I'm not sure that that's good. I'm not judging your heart. I'm not anybody or the world. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying that there is a deeper walk with Jesus. And if we're going to walk through the fire that's coming, we better be right. And I don't know that I'm right, but I know that I'm walking with him. That's it. That's all I got. So I'm just being straight up with you this morning. I believe that what excites me is for the on fire church. Now that may be you that the on-fire church has six days a week, that we are actually undercover embedded agents in the world, that if we truly have Jesus in us, the hope of glory, that when people meet us, they're gonna find hope. Is that, an ex is that like an expectation that I can lay on the group and everybody's like, rock on, we're good. So, good, okay, so if we are the carriers of the king of glory, that means when we surrendered our life, we died. He came, took over. He's our Lord. That means he tells us what to do. You don't have a choice. Okay? Now, does he walk around and actually force you to do things? No. It's this lovingly compassionate father who says, I really encourage you to do this. And you have every right to say, I don't want it. Okay? He's not going to force you to do anything. He's a gentleman. I know we don't have a lot of that in the world anymore, but he is, and so it's sort of unrecognizable to some. But he's not gonna force you to do anything, but he lovingly wants you to be his hope to the world. Now there's some things that we have to put in place in our life to make that actually shine to the world, which means you have to read this, which means that not only do you have to read it, but that it says to meditate on it. That means whenever you read this verse that says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means that throughout the day you're saying, Lord, show me how I'm hope to those around me. Show me how your glory shines through me whenever I step out of the way so that others may see it. Show me where I'm deceiving myself. That's a dangerous prayer, but do it every day. Lord, show me where I'm deceived. There's this book that was written in 1925 by a Methodist missionary named Earl Stanley Jones. I've not completely read the book, but I can tell you the synopsis of it. It was called Christ of the Indian Road. He was a missionary to India, and he was... I want to say it politely. He was remarkably inept at winning people to Christ. 
I know those were big words. He wasn't successful. And so in his frustration, he said, Lord, I have been trying to make these Indian people Methodist. That's what he said. He said to the Lord, I have failed at making the Indian people Methodist. I failed. What I was sent here to do, I failed. You have to come and show me. You have to come and show me how to do this because what I was taught to do is not working. How many of you have been taught to do things by the church that are not working in the world today? I saw like six hands in this whole room. I'm sorry, but like, I, like we're real with each other. I'm being like totally bold and as your pastor, I feel like if I don't say these things, then I'm accountable later. Like, have you been taught things in the church that are not working today? Okay, so he was in that situation, only he was not sitting in the comfort of Dover, Ohio. He was in India, away from everything. And his desperation was a desperation that I hope falls on you this morning. His desperation was, what I've learned and what I've been taught is not working where I'm trying to minister. It's not happening. And I'm failing. Now, if you look around at society, I would have to say, and you might surmise, that the church is failing. Okay? So if we're under that agreement, we can all get in with Mr. Jones here, and we can say, we're in the same situation. What we've, what we've been taught really isn't working today. The theology of all of it is great, but practically, it's not working. Um, that we got to have a better way and the Holy Spirit can give it to us if we say we understand we're inept at doing this. So sometimes we have to say we don't got it, okay? So here's what he did. He abandoned what he'd been taught. And he said to the Lord, Instead of trying to get people to agree to what I believe, I want to join you in a venture. I want to join you in, in something that, that I believe you're doing, but I don't know how to do. And this is the name of the book. It's Christ of the Indian Road. And he felt like the Lord led him to place Jesus along the road so that the Indians would stumble upon him and they would meet him where they are. The goal of the church is not to bring people here. I hope you get that. It's not my goal. Every single day, you can ask Nate, we're out trying to meet with people. We're trying to get out there where they are, trying to meet with them, and we're, we're trying to talk to them about Jesus. And we're trying to minister to other ministers to try to convince them that it's not about building a church. He's building the church. We're here to do what we're called to do, and that is to introduce people to Jesus. Now, I wasn't taught that. I don't know how many of you were. I was taught that we win souls for Jesus. It's not our call. Our call and our role is to introduce people to Jesus. That's our role. We make it way too complicated because we got numbers marked on a wall somewhere. We got to fill seats and have baptisms and do all that. Yes, that will happen. But the motivation of our heart is the real deal at determining what is truth and what is not. Okay? The Lord looks on what? Okay, so if your goal is to just go get a bunch of people fire insurance, I'm not sure how successful they're gonna be as they continue to walk. It's sort of like birthing babies and leaving them on the sidewalk. It doesn't say go create, it doesn't say go create converts. The scripture says go ye therefore make disciples of all nations. A disciple is a learner under discipline. So what do you do? He said, listen, my plan ain't working. And because my plan isn't working, I don't know what else to do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go be Jesus on the road instead of being like Jesus in the auditorium so that whenever I'm on the road, I'm actually going to give up everything that I came here for. That's what he did. If you read the book, he gave up everything. And he said, I'm going to sit along the road and everyone that comes by, my goal is to introduce them to Jesus. And if you read the end of the book, it radically changed India, not Dover, not Ohio, 
a country. Because one guy said, listen, this whole thing that we do is a bunch of nonsense right now because it ain't working with the people out there. So I'm gonna go out there and be Christ out there and whenever I'm Christ out there, I hope it works. That's what his thought was. I hope this works. I'm gonna place Christ on the road so that when people come by him, they see me, but they don't see me, they see him and his loving kindness. And when they see his loving kindness, they're gonna meet him and they're gonna see transformation and change. This was a quote in the end of the book. Christ is now becoming a familiar figure on the Indian road. Is Christ a familiar figure in our society? I think 50 years ago we could say yes. I don't know that we could say that today. Pastor Dennis talked about a post-Christian world. I think that many people, they've heard about him. Maybe they went to a couple services here and there, but have they really met him? Well, you know where, you know where they're going to meet him? It's not here. Let me just break that to you. They may come in here and meet him. That would be amazing. But more than likely, they're going to meet him in you out there. And so our job is not to go there and say, did you do this because this was wrong and this is right? That's not our role. Our role is to love them to Jesus and when they meet Jesus, it was, see, here's the thing. When Jesus puts on flesh, i.e. you and me, when he puts on flesh like us and we present Jesus to the world, because he's flesh in their midst, there's two options. There's not any other options. There's two options. You can accept him or you can reject him. That's it. Every single time there's a decision made, accept or reject. That's it. So, that tells me that if we are the hope, which is the amazing love of God to our community, that when people come into contact with Jesus in us, okay, the hope of his glory, the hope of his presence, when they meet us and they meet him in us and they meet Jesus on the road, they have to make a choice. Now, you can stand on the side of the road with a sign and get people to make a choice. But all throughout scripture where I read about Jesus, he wasn't doing that. He was an undercover agent in a world in which totally desperately needed transformation and change. And he didn't try to do the whole thing at once. What did he do? He knew he was strategic because the father's strategic. And he went where he was placed. He was strategically placed in a specific geographic region to do what he was called to do. And in doing so, he loved people where they needed it, how they needed it. And when they did that, they met someone that they weren't even looking at. So we... We often talk about all the theology to all of this, and it's all amazing, and go get your doctorate degree. That's awesome, and I'm not against any of it, but here's what I'm saying. He says, go into all the world. Go into all the world and make disciples. I'm not gonna ask this question because I know the show of hands would be very minimal, and I'm not against you, and I'm, not, I'm just saying, I think oftentimes we make a lot of converts, but we make, don't make disciples. Because disciple-making is dirty. Not because people are dirty. I'm just saying disciple-making takes time. Disciple-making means you don't go do all the things that you were doing before because you're responsible for another soul. And I wonder if the church is, as everyone said in the room, is ineffective in this hour is because we haven't been willing to take the time to disciple people. We've just been willing to make them converts. So we can mark on the board that we had 19 salvations this year or 300 salvations this year. Or but how many disciples have you made this year? How many people learning under discipline do you have in your life that you're working with? How many? 
I believe that's what the Lord's asking the church. Because disciples can be sent out and change cities and nations. Converts don't make it. Because they're, as the scripture would say, seed planted that is burned up because the soil isn't ready. So this idea of placing Christ on the road, I was like, Lord, okay, so if we're gonna place Christ on the road in Dover, New Philadelphia, all the surrounding areas, wherever you work, wherever you do business, whatever, uh, wherever you go to the grocery store, if we're gonna place Christ on the road, what are some things that we have to have right in us that would make the world say that's authentic? So I wrote down a few, you don't have to write them down, I'm just gonna give them to you. That the gospel centers around the person of Jesus. Not an institution, not a church, not even evangelism. This has to be in your heart. If it's just in your mind, your heart will actually come out of your mouth and you'll invite them to a denomination or a church or to invite them to the person of Jesus. Is he the one that changed you? It wasn't a church, it was a person. A church can't love people, an institution can't love people, people love people. So some person loved you enough to introduce you to Jesus and that person, him, the one, changed you, right? Are we all in the room? We good with that? If you haven't had that happen, then today's your day because there's no mistake you're in the room. And that the gospel, this is just for church people, the gospel is actually good news. And it should come with a smile when you talk to people. And like when you tell them about the person of Jesus, like it should be a joyful thing because he's joyful and he, he isn't screaming at you because that's not who he is. So please don't do that. Because, number two, we are a body. And what you do affects the whole body. Do you understand that? I don't think we do. The way that we treat people, the way that we love or don't love them, actually affects the whole church. Not this church, the whole church, globally. Because many people that I meet on the road, many people that I meet in the restaurants and in the places, when you talk about Jesus, they talk about all the people that hurt them. And how they came into a building one day and they had this desperate need because they were debating whether they were gonna have an abortion or not have an abortion and the last shot was to go to church and somebody ridiculed them or talked to them in a negative tone and they did whatever they were gonna do and now they're broken because they feel like the church failed them. Well, I'll tell you, the church will fail you. A denomination will fail you. He won't fail you. Amen. Ephesians 1.23 says it this way. I'll start in 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. We functioning together are the fullness of Christ. The church, not a building, not a denomination. We, the church, lovers of Jesus, coming together, reveal to the world who he is. Who are you in your position portraying him to be? Who am I in my position portraying him to be? because it affects the whole body. And I believe that there's been a lot of people who portrayed him to be angry, who portrayed him to be frustrated, who portrayed him to, be, to not be the person who's in scripture and have hurt a lot of people or have made their whole evangelistic crusade about praying a prayer and not about meeting the one who can fulfill that prayer. I know this is strong, but I'm not gonna ask you to forgive me because I don't think I would. Anyway, so number one, the gospel centers around the person of Jesus. Number two, you're a part of the church body. 
which means you got to be respectful that what you say actually affects everyone else. Amen? Number three, the model for the church is Jesus. That's it. There are many models to the church. But the model, if you're going out into the world and you're going to bring hope to the world, it's not by bringing a model of church to them. It's bringing Jesus. He's the only model. He's the only one worth introducing to anyone. I was talking, I'm in a pastor's thing, uh, and I was talking to a pastor, and he said, you know, this year, he's like, I feel like every time I go and I do a funeral or I go to somebody's birthday party or whatever, they always look to me to pray. And I said, oh, that's what happens to me too. I said, I'm going to use this, so I am. He's like, you know what? He goes, I thought, this is actually wrong. Pastor Sean will nod his head with me on this one. Like, we're here to equip you to do that. If all your friends that are at this party that I don't know think that I'm the one that prays and you don't know how, I'm not doing my job. So why don't you pray and just say, this is Rob. Okay, this isn't my pastor, this is Rob. And, and you pray and you lead in the spiritual stuff because that's what they're gonna look for. They're not coming to me, they don't know me, but when they have a crisis, they're coming to you. So they wanna know that you can pray. So he's been saying this for 17 years in his church. He still says it today. I'm just like, I'm gonna use that. I will pray if you want me to, but I want you to pray because you need to know how and you need to be the focal point of all your people. You see, because the church is so upside down from the kingdom or the kingdom's upside down from the church, whatever you wanna say, that, that everybody focuses on me. No, 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 the focus is on you. The focus is on you. I can't minister to your family. If they're open to hear my voice, maybe. But more than likely, you're the one going to be doing it. So if we haven't equipped you, come, we'll help you. Not just for prayer, but I'm saying, come, we'll help you. But it's your responsibility. So you say, Pastor Rob, what is the model of the church that we should be saying, you're saying is Christ, what does that mean? That means that when you read through scripture and you see what he did and you hear what he said and you look at all of it, that's the model of the church. Not we meet here at 10 a.m., okay? Not that we're a part of a denomination. Not that we're, I, I, we should probably not have live stream this, but I'm just saying, the whole deal is about Jesus and what he did should be reflecting in you because he's in you. He's in you. When you surrendered to him, he came in you. Now he, you are hope to the world and his presence goes with you. And so if you're introducing them to church, denomination, whatever, if you're introducing them to any of that, you're leading them wrong. Lead them to Jesus. Okay, number four, acts as the example. You realize it hasn't ever stopped. Like we're living in chapter whatever. So why is this a model? Because Jesus was accurately placed in both natural things and supernatural things. Does that make sense? He was, he was in the civil aspect and he was in the spiritual aspect. And in both places, he was correctly placed there. So the disciples weren't trying to make him out to be this angry dude, right? They were like, he came and found me in my brokenness. I need to introduce you to him. And when they met him, they were changed and cities changed and there were churches planted all over the world. But it's because he was appropriately placed in those areas and his authority was talked to and talked about by the disciples in Acts. So the culture knew him the culture knew that when he came into the culture, the culture changed. Now, sadly, if you look at many of the places that the, the early church went in Acts, those countries are now Muslim countries. Can we just be honest? Well, what happened? What happened? So Jesus was the focal point of the culture when the disciples came in, when, when the churches were planted, when these things happened, Jesus was rightfully placed in culture of where he was and who he was. 
But then as the church became the church and not the discipling, the disciple-making mechanism that continued to produce people that knew Jesus, they were producing people that knew the church. The focal point came off of Jesus and it went on to the church as a whole. And when the focus shifted from Jesus to the church, it left a lot of openings for other religions to come in. And so the culture became corrupt because Jesus was removed from the culture by the church. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. So the church failed to carry on what the disciples and what the early church uh, had planted, they failed to carry it on. And in place of that came other religions that brought something that the church could not provide. We're not here to provide anything but point you to Jesus and introduce you to him and equip you to do the work of ministry, which is introducing people to Jesus. It's very simple. Number five, if you're taking notes, Christ's incarnation becoming man teaches us that this incarnational Christianity, I know it's a big word, it means Christ in us now that that ministry can only be accomplished by people, not institutions. Incarnational means God put on man. And then Jesus came, he ascended to the throne, and when we receive him, he puts, we put him inside of us, he comes inside of us, he puts on man again. So what we see as we read through scripture, we should be seeing in our lives. What we see Jesus doing in scripture, we should be seeing in our lives because he's in us. What we see in scripture should be evident in our lives because he's in us. And if it's not evident in our lives, there's only one logical question that I have to ask. Is he in you? That's my question. Is he in you? The person of Jesus, see if I can say this correctly, what's burning. The person of Jesus can only be communicated through people that have him. So if you're out there and, and you're pushing the church on people, my question is, do you have him? I know I'm being strong, but I'm doing it in love. I hope you hear my heart. We, we're in a place where we can't mess around anymore. If you're out there and the only good words you have to say is my pastor's a good dude and he wears jeans and boots and, and the worship is awesome, which it is, thank you to the worship team. If that's all you got to say, then my question is, is he in you, the hope? Is there hope in you? Now's the day to get it right. So the person of Jesus can only be communicated clearly to the world at large by people that have him. Otherwise, we promote a corrupt Jesus to the world. So let me just read Colossians. See, it's so good. I'm just going to do it. If you come unglued, that's okay. So this is what I'm asking you. This, the next portion of this time, I'm going to ask you, don't, don't be distracted. Hear what I'm about to say. Because when you are reconciled to Christ, when, when Christ comes in you, there is a transformation that happens in you. And when you talk about the things of God, when you talk about Jesus, it's not from a, I read a book, okay? It's not from I read a book and this book changed my life. It's because you met someone, okay? So when you say, Jesus, I know I'm messing up and I've completely messed up my whole life and I'm in this broken spot. Most people, they gotta get to the bottom first. I'm not saying it's good, I'm just saying a lot of people get to the bottom first and then they meet Jesus. He's in the middle and he's at the top, but oftentimes we have to get to the bottom before we actually recognize we need help. But when we recognize we need help, 
Then at that point, we say, listen, I can't do it on my own. I need someone to, to like come in and consume me because I'm broken. Okay? This is what happens when that happens. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Everything you could ever need. It's all in him. It's in Jesus. So we can't introduce people to the church because it doesn't have the fullness. We can't introduce people to a denomination or a revival group or anything like that because it doesn't have the fullness. The only thing that has the fullness of everything that you would ever need or anything that ever created the world, it's in Jesus. That's it. For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. And by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. We're introducing people to Jesus so that he can reconcile all of them to himself. We're not in that play. We're talking about plays and things that we do in life. You realize that God laid out your playbook for your whole life before you ever started. You have a choice whether you go out and run that play or not. By him, so by Christ, we're all reconciled to him. Whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's how it happens. Repentance and receiving what he paid for. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's all of us. We can all rank in there. Whether you've met him or not, you're there. Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. To present you holy. The extreme price that he paid on the cross was to present you holy without spot or blemish and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature of he under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Keep reading, verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, get this, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints, to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory. That means the riches of his manifest presence. What are we? He's in, in us, the hope of his presence. To them, God willed to make known which are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preached warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Pay attention. Him we preach, Christ we preach. We don't preach a church, we don't preach denominations, we don't preach anything other than him. Many of us do, I'm saying we shouldn't. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Our job as believers, when we receive Christ, it's about us. The moment we receive Christ, it's about everybody else. But it's not about evangelism. It's not about the church. It's only about Jesus. So I want to I frame this for you. Do you believe, and then this is a rhetorical question because oftentimes when pastors ask you questions, they're trick questions, so I'm just going to answer it for you. 
Do you believe that, that Jesus was extreme? See, I believe that Jesus was extreme, but he was extreme on your behalf. He went to places he wasn't supposed to go, yes, because the father told him, but because he was extreme. He was so extreme that he went to places and talked to people and went into situations, most of which were not inside of a church building. He went into those situations because he was extreme and he wanted the glory that he carried to infuse into those people so that they would actually receive healing, so that they would actually receive deliverance, so that they would actually receive everything that he paid for or was going to pay for when he went to the cross. That's who we're introducing people to. We're not introducing people to this person who just is so mellow that nothing happens. No, everything that he did was extreme. The beating on the, the, beating on the post was extreme. Carrying the cross up the hill was extreme. Hanging there, letting every piece of his life flow out of his body was extreme. That's who we're introducing people to. I don't know about you, but if you've received that and you've said that price that you paid, the extreme cost that that cost you for me, when you've received that, it's in you, you can't hold it. You can't hold it. You have to release it because it so fills you with his love. That's who we're introducing people to. We talked about, we talked last week about the two, the waiter and the waitress that we, we met and we had great conversations and, and all of that went on. Listen, I'm not introducing them to a church, I'm introducing them to Jesus. And when they find Jesus, they're gonna find a home in his family somewhere. Now I can help them, that's great, but that's not my purpose. The purpose is to show them Jesus because he's an extreme, extreme, extreme person. And he so passionately went to the cross for them, just like he did for me. And if I can't grasp that about them, then I must not know the fullness of what happened for me. Him we preach. Jesus we preach. When you walk through a store, when you are sitting at the table at work. I got to go work with a company this week and they're all sitting around the table at lunch playing games and it, it was all good. But when you walk into a place, do you feel the compassion that the Lord had for you, for them? I'm not trying to create an evangelistic crusade out of this church, but I'm telling you that when you grasp what he did for you, you will become an evangelist. You will want others to know the freedom that you have from knowing him. You see, so often the church has been focused on what we do in here at 10 a.m. on Sundays or Wednesday nights at 6.30. Thank you, Pastor Sean, for doing that and, and our Family Connect meals and all those different things. It's not about that. It's the church that starts when you walk out this door today to the, to the day, next week when you walk back in. That is the church of impact, not this. But the enemy, I know this is strong, the enemy wants you to believe that this is the impact. And if he can get you to believe that this is where you come and get fueled up and man, life change happens in that building, then you completely miss what God wants to do in your house, in your school, in your business. You miss it because you're focused on this. And I'm not negative on this. Believe me, I'm not negative on this. But if all this went away, if all this went away, we gave the building, it's gone. Seats are gone. Air conditioning, heat's gone. It's all gone. And we met at Dover Park. And we all came together and brought our lawn chairs. And one of us as ministers ministered to the gospel. And we left that place. And you were active in your community as undercover agents. 
doing the work of ministry, which is introducing people to Jesus who changed you, we would have the largest church, we would have the largest body of believers in the region because we would break off this mindset that we have to be in a building, that we have to be comfortable. Being Jesus on the street for that pastor was not comfortable. I'm really getting in trouble this week. Do you realize that when you actually go into the community and share Jesus with them, Christ begins to operate in their hometown, in their functions that they do every day. Not just here in this building. No, he starts to function when they're driving in their car. He starts to function when they, when they check out and they're frustrated because a, a, something was wrong when they checked out. He starts to function and because you've introduced them to Jesus, transformation begins to happen where they are. Now don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Listen, that can be at Arby's afterwards. Come on, I, I, I just wanna break this mindset this morning. It's not about this room. It's not about this building. It's about Jesus. And if we're focused on all this, we're missing him. He wants to move through you every single day. Every single day. His desire is that you get out of the way and let him move. One of the quotes from the book said, on Monday, Jesus was on the move or sorry, on the road. On Monday, Jesus was on the road. On Tuesday, Jesus was on the road. On Wednesday, Jesus was on the road. On Thursday, Jesus was on the road. On Friday, Jesus was on the road. On Saturday, Jesus was on the road. On Sunday, Jesus was on the road, and it just... But he can only be on the road if you're on the road. Instead of Jesus only being in the church, the building, he's with people at the bank. He's with people at the grocery store. He's with people inside their lives because we've introduced them to Jesus. Are you willing to introduce people to Jesus knowing that they might reject him? You see, the answer to the question, I phrased it specifically because if you're willing to be there if they're gonna reject him, they're not rejecting you. You're just the messenger. They're rejecting him. So many people don't share the gospel or introduce Jesus to anyone because they feel like they're going to reject them. If you're teaching them, grasp me, if you're talking to them about anything other than Jesus, they're rejecting you. So that's why people haven't done evangelism because I've been trying to invite people to the church, Stephen. I've been trying to get them to the church and they keep saying no. They're rejecting me. Now I'm all bummed out and I can't do evangelism anymore because they've rejected me. I've been rejected over and over and over. How many times was he rejected? Come on. No, they, when we introduce Jesus to someone, they have a choice to accept or reject him. It has nothing to do with you. So get your personality out of the way. Don't get all bent out of shape and offended because people didn't want to choose Jesus. It's their right. At some point, they're gonna have to answer for that decision. And hopefully somebody else will plant seed as you did and water it and there'll be a harvest. But true evangelism is sharing Jesus. Are we clear on that? Okay. So the last thing that we have to understand is the, the Lord, Jesus Christ, has placed you where you are for strategic impact. Now, that place may change tomorrow. I don't know. But today, you've been placed there by the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the head of the body of believers that are following him. He's placed you there as a strategic undercover agent to introduce people to Jesus. Now, I use that word specific because strategic means he's already thought about all the stuff. Have you ever played sports 
anybody. And when you play sports, hopefully if you have a good coach, they have plays. Some bad coaches just think that you're, you know, your athleticism is going to win it all. And then you make it to the third round of the playoffs and you lose because you didn't have an inbounds play. Anyway, sorry. Um, so, so when you play sports, you have a play. And if, it, if you have a good coach, the coach puts you in a position to run the play so that you can win. Nobody's played sports. Okay. So you get a playbook, and in the playbook it says, it says this is the position, and the coach says, Rob, I think you're going to play this position. And when you memorize the playbook, hopefully if you're a good player, you memorize all the positions, amen? Yes. Well, you know all the positions, so the coach doesn't get in a pinch with an injury or fouls and have to put somebody in they have no clue because they were only supposed to run player number one. That was it. I followed him through the whole book. But here's the thing. Strategically, the coach puts you in a position to run a play to win. The Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, who's building a church, he puts you in a strategic play every single day. Every single day. The person that you met on Friday that you've never seen before but you met, that was a strategic play. Now, we have the choice to run the play or not. Have you ever been to a practice? I see some young people in the room. Have you ever been to a practice and just one kid isn't in it? Like they're just not playing today? Like they're just walking through the plays? They don't even really care? And it frustrates you because you're giving it all out? I sometimes feel like the coach, the Lord Jesus Christ who put you in a strategic place, uh, he sometimes looks at us like, you really think you're gonna win playing like that? I've already paid for you to win and you're walking through it like that. We've become so watered down into what we're called to be doing that I think sometimes we're sitting on the bench during practice And there's no way we're ready for the game. But I'm here to bring hope. And the hope is that the coach believes in you enough to put you in play. He believes in you enough to put you strategically in that place every single day so that you can make an impact and win for him because it's his reward we're going after. If you are out there talking about Jesus in the community, you will win. You will win. He will win. If you're out there talking about anything other than Jesus, you will lose. Okay, I have one more cow I gotta sacrifice this morning. We're gonna kill a sacred cow this morning. If you've done evangelism to get people to not be in hell, Great for your heart, but I'm, I'm just going to tell you this. Wouldn't it be nicer if your motivation to go out and do evangelism in the city was not just to save people from eternal hell, but that we would actually be giving a present to the one that we serve? See, when you're in relationship, and as much as I love you, if I gave you a gift, it would have a whole different behind-the-scenes meaning than if I gave my wife a gift. So I could give you a gift and it could be very valuable. But if I gave my wife the same gift that was very valuable, it would have a whole different meaning. So people are out there trying to win people to Jesus or win people to the church, whatever that is. And they're trying to get people to say a, a, a formation of words that is trying to get that notch on the belt. I'm going to give you this. I think that if we actually understand that he's extreme, and he did the extreme on our behalf. He went through all of that for the joy that was set before him, that's you and me. And he was so extreme, he did that for us. If we introduce people to Jesus in that way, and we do evangelism that way, then by introducing someone to Jesus, we're actually giving him a present. And the scripture says that he would get his full reward for his suffering. 
So instead of going and trying to, trying to mix it all up and get people out of hell, that's great. It will happen if they meet Jesus. Let's go to tell people about Jesus and then say, Jesus, listen, I've got a new disciple with me. And I'm so excited because the, the pornography that you brought me out of, we're bringing them out of it too. And I can see it and every single day we're working on it. And they believe that what you say in your word is true. It's really true. Here, this is a gift. He is in you, the hope of glory. He's in you, not to be wasted. He's in you to be shared. Some of you haven't heard this in a while, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. He loves you. He cares for you. You have a destiny that you've been put on the planet for. You are here to accomplish something. Some of you need to meet him, and others of you need to engage with him, and others of you need to just go deeper with him. I don't know where you are in the spectrum, but you're not a mistake. He loves you and cares for you. You're not in the wrong spot either because you're strategically placed where you are. And when that strategic placement moves, you'll move. I guess to make it super simple, we're bringing Jesus to men, not men to Jesus. Does that make sense? We're not here to go out in the world and bring a bunch of men to Jesus because they don't want him. But you know what? When we meet one or two or three and we bring Jesus to them, they'll probably be receptive. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, love compels us. That's the eternal feature that propels us to introduce people to Jesus. And when they meet him and they say, I want you to be the Lord of my life, then we disciple them into wholeness. You realize that whenever I, whenever I said yes to Jesus, I wasn't whole. I don't know about you all, but I had to be discipled into wholeness. And I'm not even there yet. We're bringing Jesus to men and women and children. We're not trying to go out there and bring them all to him. You want to know why governments don't change? Because Jesus isn't in it. You want to know why families don't change? Because he's not acknowledged. Do you want to know why your situation hasn't changed? Have you brought him into it? He is your strategic partner for success. He'll coach you. He's not mean. He's just. He's just. But he loves you. And he wants the best for you no matter where you are today, he wants the best for you. Some of you in the room have had people that haven't wanted the best for you in your life. And you know how that feels. But he wants the best for you. You're not here by accident. You're not a mistake. He loves you. And you know what? When he loves you, people that have Jesus in them love you too. So you may think, oh, I need love. I need this love of the Father. Well, you know what? He'll give it to you if you ask for it. But you also need to look around and those who have Jesus are compelled with love or should be compelled with love to love you how you are.
and to love you into wholeness. Would you stand this morning? God put on flesh and dwelt among us and showed us a pathway of how ministry and life should be. And then he went to the cross. An extreme thing. For us. And then he ascended to heaven and then he came back into man if we receive him. The good news is that no matter where you are or what you've done, he wants to be in you. No matter what you've learned, no matter what others have told you, he wants you. He desires to be with you. And when we surrender our lives to him, we're saying, Lord, you know how I'm broken. We all in the room, even if we know Jesus, you know how I'm broken. Would you come in and fix my brokenness? Would you change me from what I want to be to be who you want me to be. And would you give me the faith to receive you into my life? That's the gospel. That's what he desires. This morning, if you've never said that, then I just ask you, would you just put your head down where you are? Would you just, this isn't about numbers. This isn't about you coming forward. It's not about music or an altar call. Listen, would you just lay down your life this morning? Would you say, Jesus, I know I'm broken. And maybe you don't understand it yet, but this pastor said that I can be whole if I receive you. So I want to do that today. I want to be whole and I want to know my destiny that you've created me and why I'm even here on this planet. I want to get to know you. I want to feel how much everyone talks about your love for them, I want to feel that. And I want to grow with you. Would you come into my life and change me? And he'll do it. Every time. My hope is that if that's you, that you'd seek one of us out so that we can help you. We're not, we're not here to bother you. We're here to give you some direction and help. If that's you, the next step is baptism. See one of us and we'll walk you through that. But today, Father, I just thank you for life. I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, I thank you for regeneration. Thank you for salvation. I thank you for being extreme and coming into this world. Lord, help us to introduce people to you so that you get your reward of your suffering. Help us see you in the world around us. That not only would we introduce people to you, but that we would disciple them into wholeness and help them become who you've created them to be. 
Lord, help us not to be sitting on the bench. Help us to be actively executing the plays that you strategically design for us every day. And Lord, for all of those that we prayed for at the beginning of service, Lord, I ask that you would put your arms around them, that they would feel your embrace, and that they would know your presence. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that your example shows us who you want us to be. We give this amazing week that we'll see transformation through blessing and hardship, but Lord, the strategies that you've already laid out for us this week, I just ask that we would be obedient to what you say that we would know you. Lord, I pray for those in the room who haven't cracked open the manual to their life lately, their Bible, that they would meet you inside the covers and that in you, they would find hope. So Lord, we give you this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come back Wednesday night. Pastor Sean and his ministry will be here and have an amazing week. If you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.